Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Tuesday, July 11th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back pride and joy of the southeast side. That's right, Ben's talking to aldermanic candidate from the 10th Ward, Oscar Sanchez. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, whatever's on your mind, it's probably right there at ChicagoReader.com. Hey, and if you got Ben Jarofsky on the brain, just head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Hazy Northwestern Tuesday and why. Before I get into the why, let me explain why I'm so calm right now. I'm doing my inner, I'm channeling my inner Peter Cunningham, which is hard to do because I really don't have an inner Peter Cunningham. Just to remind you, Peter Cunningham is the former daily speechwriter, Rahm Emanuel trusted advisor, kitchen advisor, Peter. I know you never worked for him, who comes on the show from time to time because this show needs every now and then a centrist. And he's always calm and cool and mellow, like a uh, classic rock DJ or something like that. And then he always makes fun of me for ranting because I get all excited and emotional. I talk with my hands. But see, I just had surgery today, ladies and gentlemen. I just had some skin cancer removed. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Uh, and I'm all stitched up. And if my uh, distinguished guest, Oscar Sanchez, can see, I got this huge bandage right over my ear uh, covering up the stitches. And so I realized if I get too impassioned, if I talk too fast, if I get too emotional, if I get too typical Ben Jarofsky, it may rip the stitches open. Even that threatened that. So I'm be calm and cool and Peter Cunningham like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, hazy Northwest. And this is going to be really hard for me, ladies and gentlemen, because what I'm about to talk about before I bring on Oscar Sanchez is so bizarre and twisted and irrational and deceitful and dishonest, all those things wrapped together. And I'm utterly obsessed with it since the story broke Friday afternoon. Shout out, listener Frank was the first person to send me the link, as always, on top of things. So what happened? So Friday out, their story comes out that Northwestern has suspended for two weeks without pay. It's head football coach, Pat Fitzgerald, because of some hazing incident with players on his team. And they don't get specific in their uh, press release about the suspension, about the, it's all murky. Like they don't, in any way, you don't even know, really know what it's about. You know, it could be something relatively innocuous, but he's, it can't be that bad because he was only suspended for two weeks and he was suspended at the time in the football season when nothing is going on. He might as well be on vacation. I mean, we're, we're, we're in July. They don't start practice till I don't know, at the beginning of August or something like that. And the season itself doesn't start until the end of August. So right now, this is like sleepy time. <laughs> it's like suspending me when I'm on vacation. Okay. So just, so it can't be that bad. Boom. Just wake up Saturday morning to a story from the Daily Northwestern. Shout out young journalists, the next generation, showing what they got. And it's not just some innocuous little hazing. It is a huge scandal, a weird, twisted scandal. All this like bizarre, like savage, sadistic humiliation where older players prey on younger players. And they're like, like naked, 
make them do weird twisted stuff like, well, okay, so just think of this, folks. You know how the center hikes the ball to the quarterback? And I, I know I'm like, Ben, why are you explaining this stuff? Because some of my listeners are not sports fans and they may not know, okay, sports fans. that. So what the quarterback does, he pretty much puts his hands into the center's butt to get the ball, all right? That's how they do it. I'm not making it up. Go look at a football game, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and so only these time, but Northwest are part of their hazing thing. Everyone's naked. The center hiking the ball and the quarterback putting his hand up the center's butt. And I think this is like kind of twisting it weird, ladies and gentlemen, to force people to do this kind of stuff. Very humiliating. And really weird considering where we are as a society. Right now, MAGA is waging war on gays. And that, like, there's the Bud Light boycott. Remember that one? We talked about that a lot in the show. There's the boycott of Target because Target had, what, Pride Month celebrations? There's the pressure at Starbucks to take down, uh, like, any kind of pride signs or flags or anything like that. And there's the endless war by Ron DeSantis against Disney for being a quote-unquote woke corporation that doesn't bend to his bigotry and hatred of LGBTQ. So it's like this weird thing going on with MAGA. And me, and they're banning books. You got Moms for Liberty teaming up with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Hayal, all of them. Like, they've gone too far. The woke has gone too far. We got to ban books because it's going to what? It's going to condition kids, groom kids into becoming gay or trans. Like, that's what's going to happen? You're going to read a little book when you're, like, five? And that's going to make you gay? Make you trans? Like, it's really weird message they're sending out. Just, like, uh, totally against their libertarian spirit, by the way. I want to point that out, too. And meanwhile, you got this football team at Northwestern forcing their players to know all these, like, really weird, humiliating moments. What the hell is going on, MAGA? Anyway, so <laughs> the Northwestern Daily Newspaper reports this story, which is very specific, very graphic, very shocking in many ways about how long this has been going on and how traumatic it is for many of the players. And suddenly Northwestern's like, uh-oh. <laughs> So they changed courses within a day. The president of the university who had what he had, he was the one to approve the two week suspension of the football coach announces that he has to reconsider because even though his investigation shows that the football coach, there is no evidence that the football coach knew the hazing was going on. He should have known. And maybe that should be warranting a more severe punishment. Well, the Sun-Times, the Tribune, ESPN, all the media outlets pick up on the story from the Daily Northwestern. It gets widely reported. All day Sunday, they're talking heads in the sports world are talking about it. Monday, guess what? They fire the coach. Tuesday headline in the Chicago Sun-Times. They're showing it to Oscar Santos, my distinguished guest, so he knows I'm not making it up. Headline, front page. Usually in the Sun-Times, the sports is on the back page. The, the political news is, is on the front page. So, like, if you're not into sports, you have no idea what's going on in the sports world. And if you're not into politics, you only care about is sports, you have no idea what's going on in the political world. Only this is such big news that it's shattered. <laughs> it's shattered that divide. And now people who are not in the sports are coming face-to-face with, hey, what's going on at Northwestern? Now, folks, this is something that they haven't told you about. While all this is going on, Northwestern is trying to get it together to raise the money to build a brand-new stadium where their old stadium is. And they're having opposition from local folks, like brand-new football stadium. And Pat Fitzgerald, the coach that they just fired, is like a icon at Northwestern. It's like he's revered by alumni. He himself went to Northwestern. He's been the coach there for 17 years or something like that. Like almost his entire adult life, 
He's been a coach at Northwestern. He's key in raising that money. If they're going to send somebody out as an emissary to the community of boosters who would give money to raise, who would give money to build a stadium in Northwestern, he's the go-to guy to like represent the university. And now all of a sudden their go-to guy has got this hazing scandal that either he should have known about it, just was like completely looking the other way, or what's worse, knew about it, didn't say anything. He swears up and down and he didn't know about it. Here's the deal. After the Daily Northwestern ran that story, the powers that be in Northwestern probably came face to face with the realization that he could no longer be, Pat Fitzgerald could no longer be the front guy or one of the front guys in their effort to raise all that money for a new stadium. And that if they wanted to raise that money for a new stadium, they better get another front guy. That's what it's about, ladies and gentlemen. I swear I have been following Chicago politics since 1981, but I don't believe I've seen anything as twisted and cynical as how Northwestern has handled this from the get-go, quietly burying it on a Friday, hoping that no one would pay attention, only to be called on the carpet by their own journalists. They're probably so pissed off. They're saying all the right things, like, oh outstanding journalism by our young scholars but deep down inside they're like god damn these kids we should have sent them to the marketing school not the journalism school i don't know how northwestern's going to get out of this i really don't care if northwestern raises the money for their stadium i think the stadium where they play right now is perfectly fine for me but i gotta say i dealt with eight years of rom emmanuel cynicism one, I thought he was the most cynical public figure I'd ever dealt with. But Ram, move aside. <laughs> Northwestern University and the games they're playing with their football team and their football coach and their stadium, they're the champs. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring my distinguished guest, Oscar Sanchez, the pride and joy of the 10th Ward, pride and joy of uh, Washington High School. And... Not a huge football fan, so we're probably not even going to discuss what's going down at Northwestern. But I may have a Bears question for him before the show is over. So, Oscar, welcome back to the show. How's it going, Ben? Glad to see you're doing well. Glad to see that bandage on your face. I don't know whether or not you're going to be able to contain yourself today. I think you chose the wrong guest to say, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be tranquil i'm gonna be slimmering my man it, you can't see him right now but he's choking on his water bottle right now and the reason he didn't hear it is because his sound guy just removed it so i'll just let you know right now <laughs> no the sound guy protects me producer chris <laughs> takes care of me uh yes uh oscar i will really try to be cool i i, I got through that opening if, if I didn't have these stitches, ladies and gentlemen, it would have been a different cadence, a louder voice. Plus, there's probably still a lot of drugs in my system for where they numb me up uh, for the procedure, which went fine. Uh, touch wood. All right. So you guys probably remember if Oscar was on the show, he's from the southeast side of Chicago. And as I always point out, I take nothing for granted. That's the part of the city of Chicago. That's the, literally the far southeast side that goes mm -hmm. under the lake and kisses Indiana. It's the 10th Ward. Uh, Sue Sadlowski Garza was the alderman for the last eight years from that ward. Oscar ran for alderman in uh, the last go around. And our, Oscar is an activist, one of the leading environmental activists on the southeast side fighting the city's attempts to put more waste disposals, metal shredding facilities, uh, et cetera, and so forth. In other words, use his neighborhood as the dump, which is kind of how the city of Chicago sees uh, Oscar's neighborhood. We had a long conversation about that a while ago. Before we go any further, talk, get updates, talk about what's going on uh, with the Southeast side, with the city on this front. Uh, let's talk a little bit about running for Alderman. Damn, what was that like? Yeah, man, I appreciate you for that intro. And it's it has to do with community, right? 
wanting to see your community thrive. And that's been such a word that everybody's been throwing around to thrive. And for me, the, the easiest way to thrive is just making sure people felt safe, where people knew where they're getting their food from, knowing food, can, knowing people can also find the transportation needed for jobs, making sure folks were being put into like a circular economy where resemblance of the steel mills, where these ecosystems of economy help build up other places. So the steel mills is one industrialization, but how did it actually affect South Chicago in building economic assets and engines? So running was something I'd say incredible, something humbling. At the time I was 25, I'm 26 now. I'll just point out, Ben was like, wow, you are young. And I think that's that's the biggest story of how our generation is really looking at saying our vision is this. Our vision is wanting to ensure that people can have joy in life here in the southeast side because people leave the southeast side. People don't find the assets they need for the education. They don't find the assets they need to raise a family. They don't see themselves here because they're not ever part of the planning. So running for alderman or alder person was being able to say, this is a vision because I was asked by multiple community members and being put at the forefront of saying, we need public health protections. We need good jobs that don't take away our wealth. We need to make sure that we're building something that involves people. And I always think about Angela Davis which she says, if I'm not part of the planning, my existence isn't accounted for. So as somebody who's young, somebody as Latin American, somebody who's been impacted with respiratory issues in their families, we're here because this is home. And we ran because we want to make sure our home and everybody else's home is taken care of. Was there an aspect of campaigning for office that was different than being an organizer was there an aspect uh, where you came where you realized that you might have to stifle that impulse some of the things you might have said as an organizer where you had to kind of censor yourself if you will or adjust uh to trying to get people to vote for you who might not ordinarily vote for you that's a great question because it all starts with values and i think that's i believe that that's the most important aspect the storytelling because it's about allowing folks to be part of that vision, but also listening. So those are just key values that were part of my organizing already. So knocking on someone's door, introducing myself, saying where I'm from, set pointing, saying I live that way from here, these couple blocks, there's the people would say, Oh, my family lives there. So it's, we built a real bond and the aspects that were different was just knowing how do you maneuver this? Because a lot of people won't recognize that there are parts of political organizing that are different than community organizing. And as someone who's young, a lot of things that affected me had to do with my age. People questioned my experience. I served on two state boards. I served on the Leonard Community College Board for over a year. I worked, I worked on the Youth Governors Youth Commission Cabinet. I've been appointed different positions and folks were always questioning me. And I think that's the aspect that was very different from organizing. There was already trust because of the organizing I've done, but then running for an office, people then are like, what qualifies you to do this position? And as somebody who's young, again, it always goes with who is going to make the decisions as a community. Yeah, I, uh, I'm thinking about what that, uh, what qualifies you to run for alderman. It's one of my favorite topics, actually. What uh, usually it's raised to uh, uh, mayoral candidates. I heard it a lot for Brandon uh, Johnson, for instance. Like, how is he qualified to be mayor of the city of Chicago? And I take delight when I hear that question asked by mainstreamers about uh, somebody on the left who's never been mayor. Like, how is anybody qualified to be mayor of the city of Chicago if you haven't done the job already? There's no job like being mayor. So I'll break yeah. it down to alderman. Uh, how do you deal with that question? How are you? How are you qualified? What makes you qualified to be an alderman? Forget your age. Forget the fact that you're 25. Mm -hmm. The same question could be asked of somebody who's 35 or 45. If you've never ever been an alder person, what makes you qualified to be an alder person? So, how do you answer that? So. Going back to some of the aspects, it's values. It's being able to talk to people and share those values, 
but more alongside it, it's the network and the power you build with your community. My background is coalition building, working from environmental justice, public safety, and even the word public safety so um, so co-opted and I always present it as holistic safety and looking at mental health and different organizing. So the way that I tell people I'm qualified is because I know the community because the community asked me to run. I know folks from South Chicago, the organizers from, from South Gary, Slag Valley, Elk Hill Gardens, Hegwish. When it comes to all these different aspects that made the 10th Ward, I've already had connections. So when a lot of people ask me what qualifies me, it's I'd say, okay, let's talk about the issues. Let's talk about these solutions. Let's talk about how you see yourself part of this. So it was always a question of saying, always going back to when people ask me what qualifies me, I'd always ask them, what, do you, what are the traits you want to see in your older person? What are the things that you vision in this community? And always going back because that's always the key aspect of, for me, organizing is listening and changing it up for folks to also be part of those processes. And even the most sincere question I've asked people is like, when was the last time you felt like this was a community? When was the last time that you felt that you had joy or fun in the 10th ward? And those are questions that so many people will like shake off. But in the 10th ward, it means a lot because the 10th ward, because of all its complexities over the decades, people have only seen it as an area where you just live and you work somewhere else and where you have your festivities or fun activities somewhere else. So it's really about how we really let people know that this idol is not only to champion many policies, but also bringing back that aspect of community because it's so essential. They also, if they're from outside of the 10th Ward, uh, view it as an area where you could put something like a metal sh shredding plant uh, <laughs> or a dump. Uh, and it's not something where the city has made great efforts, to put it mildly, to clean up uh, abandoned steel, steel yards. Uh, we, you and I were talking about this before we came on the air. I've been talking about this a lot on the show uh, the last couple of weeks about Southworks, the old steel uh, plant. We'll get to that uh, in a little while. It's the site of a bear stadium. Uh, my one-man crusade. Uh, no, two-person crusade with Del Marie Cobb. Three-person. Marie, I got to give you a shout-out. There's three of us on this bandwagon. Uh, and uh, maybe I can add Oscar to the list. I don't know. He may be a harder sell. Uh, but um, uh, so where do you think the city – how do you think the city views the 10th Ward now in, in this aspect? Uh, and uh, clearly Mayor Rahm. Mm -hmm viewed it as a place where you could just move industries from the north side that the neighbors didn't want anymore and that developers wanted the, uh, the land under which those uh, uh, industries were operating. So mm -hmm. they, they wanted that land to develop. So they had to get it out, move it to the side. Clearly, that was the vision of uh, the, the city leaders in during the ROM years. How do you think things are now uh, post-Lori Life for the head into Brandon Johnson era? Yeah, I mean, I think this, this, there has to be context to this, right? There's this metal shredding company coming from the north side to the southeast side, an affluent community coming to a black and brown community that's more low income. And this brings up the conversation, my favorite conversation to talk to you about TIF funding. And it's about how it's using to uplift blighted communities. Now, Lincoln Yards, that development receives $1.6 billion in subsidies, part of that being TIF. So it's also saying, was Lincoln Park a blighted community? And even within six days of them receiving that agreement, then it no longer became an industrial corridor. So it, it was very intentional when Rom had this design and nobody stopped at that moment. And now looking at it now during the Lori Lightfoot administration, we have been titled as a receiving industrial corridor. So that means that we are the area where other industrial corridors in the city can now have their operations here instead. And looking at it that way, it doesn't matter for me about the optics of saying who's in the administration. I need to see what the policy is. I need to see what the actions are gonna be. So I will always say this, I see the mayor as a friend, but we also hold our friends accountable. And that's why there's importance to have a community of impact study. There's importance to have an EJ Act to make sure we have frontline protections. 
Because at the end of the day, if there's no change in our policy, it's as useless as the title that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, gives us as the EPA community, Environmental Justice Community. You're titled that if you're overburdened by your environment, but it does nothing in permitting processes. So it's a sticker. And unless there are concrete policies or changes, it means the same. Well, to that point, by the way, just really quickly before we move on my follow up question, uh, <laughs> I just have to say this, even though it's a bit of a tangent. I just by coming back from the doctors today, drove through the area uh, just east of where Lincoln Yards is going to go on along Clybourne. If anybody from the north side is listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are so many vacant storefronts. So the Lincoln Yards deal did not do the north side any great favors either. I don't know how you're going to fill up Lincoln Yards and fill up all the vacant storefronts that are just east of Lincoln Yards. Clearly, the planning department under Mayor Rahm Emanuel was sound asleep for eight years. I mean, it. I urge everybody, just drive up Clybourne and just take a look at all the vacancies. And uh, there's some big boarded up buildings as well. And I'm like, what made you guys think? that this area needed Lincoln Yards. These individual storefronts need help and assistance. They, they have a hard time themselves. All right, sorry on that tangent. Yeah. Um, no, but that's an important part. I just want to say like, cause this goes even to like Invest Southwest. You see that there's $2.2 billion being invested, but it's 10 communities. So when you split that up, that's about, what does that look like for each community compared to a whole two, almost $2 billion for a whole community? Yeah. And we're really talking about blighted communities. So just wanted to make sure that context is there too, is that how has the city been looking at communities like Inglewood, communities like Bronzeville, communities like Pilsen, Little Village, Algill Gardens, Chatham? How do they see those communities? And I always say like, what are they actually doing? And then that's the different types of investment. And it's not equitable. Uh, it's not equitable for certain. Uh, I don't even know if it is thought out. I mean, I don't even know if it's thought out. I just, it could. I have no idea how uh, the planning department uh, has, works. I've never been privy to their conversations. Oscar. Let's get them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how does the planning an hour on how the planning department works out? Uh, and uh, the jaded observer of Chicago politics and me, which I'm always dealing with. Uh, I just got this feeling it's like one powerful interest has the ear of the people in charge of the city of Chicago. And there we go. We're off to the races on that on a deal by deal basis without looking at how it fits into the whole pattern of the city. Uh, but that's a jaded Chicago journalist to me. All right, let's go back uh, to the concept of the southeast side, the 10th Ward, the area of just on the far southeast corner of the city. Uh, right near the Indiana border. Uh, and again, and during the ROM years, it was move industry there. Uh, there's been resistance. Oscar has been one of the leaders in the resistance to uh, moving uh, industries there re without regarding the health considerations, uh, how it contributes to pollution, et cetera, and so forth. You were on the mayor's environmental justice uh, transition team, one of the transitions teams uh, that the mayor put together uh, to issue a report that came out last week. Um, What's what is the vision of that trend, the uh, of that report that you guys just issued in regards to your neck of the woods? Man, if we had enough time to go through that 400 page document, man, I <laughs> that'd be phenomenal. But specifically for environmental justice and even wanting to give love to other folks involved, like Juliana, like Young, like Ogo Batista. Like there's so many names that were part of the transition team that I was like, yes, like this is something to look forward to. And it, what you're saying, it, it really resonates with that about being intentional because we have to look at models that are circular, like even like a circular economy, what are we looking to build towards? And I think that's a larger vision. So you see a lot of efforts for like decarbon. I think it's really important that we talk about how can we, do electrification in meaningful ways because people's gas bills have gone up. People's water bills have gone up. People's water bills have quadrupled from 2005 to 2023. They've quadrupled. And 15% of households in Chicago, that's 150,000 people in Chicago can't afford their water bill. 
So for me, this plan really talks about listening to actual groups. And that's what I've heard. For example, there's like a, a water justice working group. And the some of the feedback I got is that when they sent the recommendations over for us to review, we were like, oh, these are already recommendations on this transition report that we're going to turn in anyway. So when you see that the people on the ground are working and are involved in this process and the recommendations were already part of it, that's something beautiful to see because you know people are being intentional. The, the whole concept, that's a different concept than what I was going at, but uh, since you led us there, let's go there. Uh, water rates. <laughs> <laughs> this is... I have to say this is a, um, uh, a regressive form of raising money for the city of Chicago because pretty much everybody's paying the, the same rate regardless of how much money you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, garbage collection is a little different. It's basically it's how much you get charged by, well, you get the water, you get charged by how much you use as well. But um, if you severely, if you change the way uh, the system for figuring water bills, garbage bills, and this uh, sewage bills, that reduces the potential to reduce the amount of money the city gets. The city needs money to pay its obligations and its bills. Uh, so there'll probably be pushback there. Do you follow yeah. what I'm saying? That's like. hundred percent. I even agree. If it's needed. Go ahead. No, I think that's a really important point because that also has a conversation. For example, do you know that there was a moratorium on water shutoffs during the pandemic? Yes. That's a a big part. It's saying like how essential is water and making sure people have water. I think that raises a lot of questions. And when people, we talk about progressive rates, let's talk about the actual numbers because the numbers being recommended are making sure that people that are making less than $15,000 a year are making sure their needs are met. And again, that includes about 150,000 households. How much money are we looking at actually losing versus people that are going to be pushed out of this city? So I think when we look at ways that the cost of living has been increasing, and yes, we need to also make sure that we are profiting or creating a revenue. We also have to look at the depopulation that's happening in Chicago, and that is affecting businesses, affecting those vacant lots, affecting those vacant houses here in the southeast side. And those rates that we're talking about, they start at people first, making sure that a proposed water bill is at at $10,000, people have no water bill. And then people at $22,000 are getting a subsidy of $200 on their water bill. Like the the substantial amount of money is that if you're making about more than $40,000, you'll be paying your regular water bill because you can't afford it. So it's looking at those parts in these key metrics that were saying that who is this actually going to be impacting? And is it going to be affect us, affecting us in a negative economy way? And it's not because, again, it's going to those most impacted. And those are the folks that are going to be staying here, wanting to build out their lives here. And there's more programs that we can add them. One thing, one critique that I've had with the city of Chicago and the state or government in general is that if we know someone is on a government assistant program like SNAP, why don't we just make sure they qualify for everything? Why don't we make sure we qualify for them already for the solar program that we have already, that if you make a certain less than a certain income, you get solar panels installed already, making sure that you have your prescriptions taken out. So for me, the other part to this, that the larger vision is that when folks are at a lower income, making sure that they have all the assets needed to make sure that they get propelled into higher incomes and their needs met. Because it's already happening. Those assets are there. You know, this is a curious thing about the water in the city of Chicago. We have the lake, literally. We're up against the lake. We yeah. have a, the, the water source is right there. You would think that we would have the cheapest water rates that possible. It's, it's not like you got to take the water a long distance. But it has been pointed out to me by uh, a budget analyst down to the years is that the city needs money. Cost money to operate this city and people need water. So, you know, you got to make some money off of this. You can't, you can't view it as, Oh, we can have dirt cheap water bills because the lakes right there. No, you got to treat people almost like you lived in Nevada and water was that scarce because it's one way of guaranteeing that people uh, pay you. And what you're talking about is like a radical relook at how the city does business just on this one area. Do you follow on that? 
it's going to be a tough sale, even uh, for a progressive mayor like Brandon Johnson. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's extremely important. For me, it's about how are we establishing, and I think that goes into like this campaigning of like creating that culture of care. How are we being intentional with meeting people's needs? And that goes into this other part, like environmental activists are pushing for a just transition. We've gotten so much funding available at the state level with CJIP, the Climate Equity Jobs Act, that we can be literally building out a whole new workforce of folks building out solar panels, rebuilding schools to have building standards. And that literally has been rejuvenating Boston's and New York's um, economy. So it's looking at the same way. How are we addressing some of those immediate issues? We want to say water for all, but let's talk about the lead and water. There's so many lead pipes in the city of Chicago, we do not have the workforce to remove them as the speed that we'd like them to. So I really feel that the communities that have been most impacted by this, which have been Southeast, Southwest, Southside communities, um, and many Northside communities as well, that the people affected by this should also have their youth or anybody wanting to have an opportunity to be part of those trades, because then you have the same people living here, solving them. And that goes with many different issues. Again, construction of new schools, new equitable designs, sustainable designs, and looking at different ways to actually build up an economy that builds up skills. Something uh, Oscar, go for it. No, what did you just say? That that last sentence, I didn't. I talked over it. I want, I want everybody to hear. What was that last sentence you just said? So for me, something revolutionary is when you allow children to see that they're part, going to be part of a workforce that's part of the future. You see, Inglewood has an actual program to teach children how to repair an electric vehicle. If that's the future that's going to be sustainable for them and they're already part of it, they're going to be ready. So it's about saying, how is Chicago going to be ready for the repairs that are needed and also the sustainability that it needs for its maintenance? At this stage, it's Chicago's political development, having just elected a progressive mayor. In your humble opinion, how willing do you think Chicago is uh, to make the changes that you're you're describing, just just in terms of more progressive forms of taxation, more progressive forms of raising money? The mayors, I just want to point this out to everybody, the transition team held back on specific recommendations about uh, tax, taxation. That's the most controversial aspect of all this. So in your opinion, how ready do you think the city of Chicago is to actually move more in the direction of progressivity on taxation? Um, for me, the most important part, it's not about, yes, there's ideologies to this, but when you introduce people to ideas of saying, well, shouldn't e economic cycles or models be more circular? Wouldn't they be more substantial and more long-term and sustainable? So for me, it's about let's get rid of all the rhetoric. Let's get rid of those conversations and let people figure out, like, what is that your community needs? What is it the way that we can transform these areas? That's the most important part, because you see a lot of these solutions are part and are most successful when communities are involved in them. You see Pullman, you have its community literally rejuvenating itself and its community members that are fleeting that. You have folks in the southeast side doing the same. You have literally a farm. I just came and visited Urban Growers Collective. They have a farm in South Chicago. How many people have even heard of it? And they're literally providing fresh food and produce to community members free and also sell it. So I think the way that we're looking at business has to be more cooperative. And that's, I think, I love the concept of co-ops. A lot of this is, yes, it's visionary. It's radical. But the point of it is like, what is the result that it's coming out with? And I think that's the most key part. We can always say that Chicago requires business, but if you don't have its people, you're never gonna have the businesses then. Mm. All right, so let's get to it. Uh, one business uh, that is currently in Chicago but threatening to leave uh, is the football business, the Chicago Bears. And uh, they play at Soldier Field right now, and they were uh, well on their way, it seems, to building a, uh, a new stadium in Arlington Heights when uh, negotiations hit a snag between the Bears uh, and the local municipalities over how much the Bears would pay in property taxes. The local municipalities wanted to pay more, particularly the school districts wanted to pay more. The Bears didn't want to pay more. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, they're negotiating with other uh, towns. Uh, 
Naperville, Waukegan, Aurora. They're at least talking to them about going uh, to those cities, putting their stadium in one of those cities, putting pressure on Arlington Heights. And additionally, the city of Chicago. Uh, Kevin Warren, the CEO of the Chicago Bears, uh, met with uh, Mayor Johnson to talk about perhaps maybe the Bears staying in Chicago. They are the Chicago Bears. They're not the Arlington Heights Bears. They're not the Naperville Bears. They're not the Waukegan Bears or the Aurora Bears, for that matter. Uh, There's a huge site in your neck of the woods at 83rd in the lake. It's the old Mm -hmm. Southwark uh, Steel Yards. Uh, it went out of business. The, the steel mill went out of business in the 70s, some point in the 70s. So it's been vacant. Uh, this is stuff that Oscar, all, your entire life, Oscar, you were born well after that steel facility went out of business. <laughs> the whole time you've been alive, it uh, has been vacant. Uh, and uh, I've been told by various people who know uh, that there would be a tremendous cost to remediate the land, dig up the concrete infrastructure that's there, and test to see how many toxins, pollutants are in the land so it could be remediated. So there is a huge upfront cost to fixing that land, getting it ready for development, Oscar. The city has not made that cost in <laughs> the entire 50-something years that that land's been vacant. Some people see the Bears needing a stadium uh, as an opportunity to do what the city probably should have done without the Bears needing a stadium, and that's clean up this land. Should have done that regardless of whether they had a business deal on the table. Should have done that just because it's right on the lake and it's potentially polluting the water. Should have done that because people live around it. Should have done that because it's the right thing to do. Here, I'm getting all riled up. I'm supposed to be yeah, I, I feel the stitches. <laughs> the stitches are pulling. They're like, go, Ben, go. We want to be free. <laughs> so if you can't get the city to do the right thing just because it's the right thing, Oscar, then maybe what you need to do is put an incentive. And it seems like if some wealthy person could get even wealthier, that is all the incentive the city needs to make an investment in doing what it should have done 50 years ago. So if you could make the Bears wealthier by clearing up that land so they could put a stadium, and the land would be clear, would you, Oscar, as a a leader, uh, from the southeast side, as a lifelong resident of the tenth ward, as a proud graduate of Washington High School, would you sign on to that? I'm gonna make it very clear. I, I think that's. A, I will go back. I, I have three points for this. One, I don't think it's my like. I, I'm gonna give my opinion on what happened. Right. One is that regardless of what I say, there should always be a community benefits agreement. We see this with the Obama Center. Right, so we need to make sure community members are part of that, not displaced by these investments and these developments. Two, whatever happens with the Bears, I do not want them having state funding because we are already in so much debt because of that fuel that we have already. And three, I think it's brilliant. I think we have to envision these amazing things. We've talked about museums there. We talked about people literally, I didn't like the idea of the airplane there personally because it just wouldn't be a good settlement but i think that why not like if the whole family is like look like we it would be amazing to be able to walk across the street and go to a bears game and people are benefiting from it people are not being displaced by it people can actually have a job there and it's going to be long term why not so i think i would be with those first caveats and making sure communities the ones deciding at the end of the day and my point i will say this man i'm not, I'm not trying to make rich people more richer I, I always love Brandon's choice of like, we make Chicago rich by investing in its people because when its people is wealthy, the city is wealthy. Well, that would be a very unique way to run the city of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it happen in my lifetime. Maybe in your lifetime it will happen. Uh, but generally in my lifetime, it holds. Uh, if the only time the city will make a significant investment uh, anywhere is if someone really rich is getting richer. That's generally how it's been. Uh, and Lincoln, let's bring Lincoln Yards back to the, that. Why do you think, folks, you think it's just a coincidence they invested on the north, north side? One of the most well-connected developers leading the charge? Well, let's think about that, right? Like, yeah. look at Michigan Avenue. 
back in the day, South Chicago was Michigan Avenue. And right now, Little Village with 26th Street is like the scene as the second most largest commercial strip in the city of Chicago. So why isn't there that investment in Little Village right now that doesn't displace its community members? That's my argument to you, Ben. Well, it's the same point I'm making. Uh, It's like (laughs) the people, uh, like if you have like a conglomeration of small business uh, owners, nobody, like no significant power sources, and most of them are Hispanic, that's not the same thing as like like having a downtown developer with a huge chunk of land and a bunch of aldermen getting uh, contributions from them. Okay, I'm <laughs> just saying. Listen, I wish the world wasn't the way it is, Oscar, but the world is the way it is. Just yeah. I'll end with where I began. Northwestern, they want yeah. their stadium built. So they were like, let's bury this report of this, <laughs> this weird no, football culture. We, I, know, agree. Was, I agree. Yeah. I, I do want to say this, right? Like, I, I completely agree. And I think as we're having this conversation, I just, I, for me, the purpose is like, we, we got to make sure we dream. So, but I do agree. Like every time we organize, we always talk about what is the viability of this? What is the viability of this? We have a vision of how we want to operate, but what, how is this actually going to be happening in the the system we live in right now or the, the, the atmosphere. And one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite people is Dix Romero is that you have to make the outcome be something where the outcome is oh, the only right choice to make. So for me, it's like how we organize and how we vision and that's the vision. It doesn't mean that that's how it is right now, but hopefully one day it can be if you continue because all of this started from decades and generations before. And I think about Eduardo Galliano thinking about the ghost of past revolutionaries always come back in these times. So we have to dream. Uh, I believe you're quoting Dixon Romeo, who will be a guest on this show on Thursday. Man, you didn't even know that. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, Dixon, Oscar did not know that. We didn't. I did not tell him that. (laughs) According to you, Dixon, that's something else. Um, uh, Dixon gives me a hard time uh, about a lot of things uh, sports related, but I think Dixon would probably be on uh, this uh, Bears bandwagon of mine, and I think I'll ask him about it when he comes on the show. I don't think it'll happen, uh, Oscar. I think we're all being used. So I just personally want to let you know I don't think it's going to happen for many reasons. Number one, the Bears still want to go to Arlington Heights, in my humble opinion, so they're just using everybody as leverage to negotiate with Arlington Heights. So that's number one. Number two, there is such a psychological block that the city has regarding the South Side. And it is, it's like, so it's really hard you know, for uh, the city to make that, overcome that psychological block and view 83rd and the lake, even though it is on the lake as a viable source, a site for uh, big time development. That's a psychological block, Oscar. Go ahead. Well, maybe that's a question for Dixon, right? Like maybe even asking him, what what does it look like? What does development look like in the South side with the Obama center coming? Like how, how will that affect businesses? Because it's going to attract folks to South shore by Jackson park. Right. Yeah. So what, how would that then affect the lake shore, like the rest of like Dusaba drive? I'm very curious on that take. Well, I will uh, ask him that. Uh, I will get the update on Thursday about that, uh, that whole issue. And, uh, and then as uh, when I, when I'm done with that, I'll throw him the bears question. Uh, because I would like the city just to like rethink like this basic biases that it has. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Just this, that we're such a tribal city, tribalistic city, which is like the yeah. South side, the North side. And everybody's like locked into their little, I remember when I was just suggesting that the Obama center go on the West side and all, and all these people on the South side are like, you know, Obama's from the South side, Ben, he's not even from the West side which is like the stupidest thing I ever heard. Cause number one, he's not even from the South side. He's from Hawaii. <laughs> he lived here for like 20 years. People got out as soon as he could. He didn't even make it to 20 years. <laughs> he's not from the South side. Ben, he's from the South side, not the West side. I thought it would have been a lot better off on the West side, but nobody listened to this. I'm definitely not running the city's planning department. Uh, all right, Oscar. You've been a very great guest uh, dealing with me in my injured state, and I've been relatively restrained. 
almost there at the end as I, <laughs> I almost <laughs> lost it. I love it. So thank you for keeping me cool and calm uh, in this uh, day back from my surgery. Thank you very much, Oscar. I, pre- I appreciate you, Ben. I just want to say that you, I see you as an elder. I see you respectfully, right? In a way that you amplify these stories and that I hope to see myself in the same way you are doing what you're doing. And I side question, we didn't get to talk about it, but I always just love the relationship you have with your granddaughter. If folks check out his reels, check out his TikToks where he's like literally talking to tiffs and baseball and basketball with his granddaughter. It's the most wholesome thing you ever see. God bless you, man. It's actually Instagram. It's my Instagram. I haven't figured out TikTok yet. Uh, that's coming. <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> slow, but uh, God bless you, Oscar. Yeah, no, I, uh, I do. When I get with my granddaughter, I start telling her what's going on in my life. And she's just such a little kid. She's just like looking up at me. Okay. But she, I know she's somewhere she's absorbing. Oh, grandpa's lessons about the bulls, man. Why can't the bulls get a rebounder? SD, we need a, we need a powerful force under the board or tiffs. This tiff program's out. And you know, uh, then I start ranting and raving. You know how I get Oscar. That's when I don't have my stitches in, but I'm cool and calm right now. He is not cool and calm right now, y'all. <laughs> no. Yeah. You, all right, Oscar, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on the show, all right? Uh, you have a beautiful day now. All right, that's Oscar Sanchez. I also want to thank producer Chris. Did an outstanding job putting up with me on my day of recovery from the surgery. Producer Chris, I think Oscar and Oscar's mother will agree with me when I say... <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more all at chicagoreader.com. If you want to learn more about Oscar Sanchez, just head to oscar410.com. That's oscar, F-O-R-10, the number 10.com. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader